Divorce TV time again, and we have Henry Elliston, financial expert. We have a shared story with Karen Sutton and uh, one of those lovely, lovely meditations with Sharon Stiles, who's kindly come back to get us all into a good state at the end of the show. But let's start with the news. This is uh, one of those, we have to write about divorce, so we'll just drag something up the past stories. But there's a reason I'm sharing it, which is at the end. This is ex-Dragon's Den star Duncan Bannatyne's net worth, £345 million divorce and stunning wife, apparently, according to my London. Scottish entrepreneur Duncan Bannatyne was Dragon's Den's own Simon Cowell, known for his no-nonsense approach to ripping apart Hopeful's business pitches. He was on the show from 2005 up until he left in 2015 due to having other work commitments. He is also remembered for his appearance in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here when he was in an ongoing feud with Lady Colin Campbell. His current net worth as of 2021 is estimated at £462 million. So divorce hasn't harmed him too much. Duncan has been married three times and his first marriage was to Gail Brodie in 1983, with whom he had two daughters and later divorced in 1994. He then went on to marry Joanne Q in 2006. However, it was in their sixth year of marriage that the pair decided to end it. He had received the bad news that she wanted to file for divorce whilst on the set of filming for the ninth series of Dragon's Den. He said, so when I stood in that car park with my fellow Dragon's Den judge, Peter Jones, shaking with disbelief at Joanne's text message, I knew it was going to be expensive, he told the Daily Mail in 2013. So I'm not sure if he was shaking because it was just shock or because of the fear of the cost. Duncan admitted, and this is the only reason I'm showing this story, Duncan admitted he regretted not signing a prenup as the divorce cost him £345 million. Just a point, even with a prenup, he probably would have had to give her something, so it would still have cost quite a bit. Uh, however, it would have been a smart move. And just so you know, prenups are not just for the rich. And if you create them with a collaborative lawyer or through mediation, throw in a life coach and, some, and, and a financial planner, it will be much more fun and you'll end up with a much better agreement. Next story, we're going to talk about employees. In HR Director, it says why it matters how your employees divorce. And there's some really interesting uh, statistics here. Divorce in the workplace remains a grossly under-acknowledged problem, says the article. And yet clearly the principal impact of divorce is felt by employed individuals who may find themselves bewildered and in crisis. It is often said that it can take twice as long to recover from divorce as from the death of a close relative. So why is it any business of employers to intrude upon this private grief? Consider an interesting recent study commissioned by Raiden Solicitors, which asked employees at 133 workplaces across the UK about their experiences of relationship breakdown. Among its findings were the following. 60% of respondents suffered an impact on their mental health. 57% did not feel they received adequate support from their employers. 42% reported their employer could have provided more mental health support. So what's happening to their duty of care here? Both men and women 
women overwhelmingly reported an impact at work. Though men were disproportionately affected, 93% for men, 74% for women. These figures demolish any notion that private family issues can be left at home. Given that 42% of marriages end in divorce, these issues are a reality in the workplace which cannot be ignored. All employers should aspire to have better and more understanding treatment of their divorcing employees in accordance with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, particularly um, for the areas of good health and well-being and gender equality. But aside from the moral case, is there also a commercial case, the article asks, for employers to help out based on enlightened self-interest? The study continues. Well, surprise, surprise. 79% reported an impact on their ability to work. 39% reported decreased productivity. Just under 10% left their employment within a year of divorce. 15% reported an increase in errors of workplace accidents. So it's mental health, it's staff turnover, and it's just being a complete nightmare to work with. These findings chime with a 214, to, sorry, 2014 study for the Nashville Business Journal, which found that in six months leading up to and in the year of divorce, an employee's productivity is reduced by 40% and will suffer on some level for about seven years. More surprisingly still, according to the article, there is an impact on the divorcing employee's co-workers. Well, I've been talking about that for years. Of course it is. If you've ever worked with someone, maybe you've got a manager who's having a horrible divorce. It's absolute hell. At the last count in England and Wales, men are most likely to get divorced at the age of 47 and women at just under 45. The conclusion seems clear. Divorce will affect key personnel and unless those employees are adequately supported, business will be impacted. And then it says what employers can do to help. So if you employ anybody, listen closely. First, acknowledge that you can, you can help. Employers are in an ex excellent position to signpost employees to appropriate services. Make sure you understand all the options out there. Just give them access to the free Best Way to Divorce app that job's covered. If you have one, consider whether your firm's separating families policy, yes, they do exist, needs revising or creating if you haven't got one. It says if you haven't got one, get one. Are you providing sufficient flexibility for divorcing employees to accommodate different childcare arrangements, for example? Is time made available for meetings with lawyers? I would add in there mediators and divorce coaches. Employee benefit schemes can be an excellent way of ensuring appropriate support is provided for key staff. Only currently they're not because they tend to focus on go and see a counsellor, maybe a lawyer. It's all a bit too late on. So I would encourage employers to get resources that actually nip it in the bud and uh, not not restricted, sorry, sorry, not restricted to just being, to uh, just Wonderful though counselling is, but not just that. And lawyers, there's a whole bunch of professionals who can support people through divorce. So come and talk to me about your separating families policy, uh, which includes free support for your employees. And last but not least, The Cut is talking about divorce is down, but will it last? Four recently divorced people talk about how COVID impacted their marriages. I promise I'm not going to talk about I'm only going to give you a little snippet of one of them. 
What interested me was that according to most recently available statistics, divorce is at a historic low. Anecdotally, however, it's a miracle anyone stayed married through 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic presented many couples with an unprecedented challenge. Beyond the often lethal impact of the disease itself, many couples also experienced job loss, particularly women, immense stress as a result of parenting kids through remote learning and a correspondingly diminished sex drive, not surprisingly. Any of these factors alone might deepen an already cracked marriage, but it feels as though there's there's also something deeper and more philosophical happening in the divorces taking place this year. According to Matt Lundquist, clinical director of Tribeca Therapy, the pandemic created an existential maelstrom which whatever that is, in most cases, exacerbated issues couples might have previously ignored or tried to ignore. Alongside that enormous stress, many people in long-term marriages have found themselves at a crossroads. He says, I think this has been a forced moment of profound reflection. People are thinking a lot about what matters to them, what they want in the world, what they tolerated living without, that they don't want to tolerate living without anymore. Maya, 39, from Montreal. She's married 16 years, together 21. I just wanted to end this with her a little clip from what she says, because actually it's, it's a quite positive aspect of what she got out of COVID and the whole lockdown. She says, when I look back, the issues that led to our separation absolutely existed long before the pandemic. But the best way I can describe what shifted for our house is the lack of coping skills and distractions. It was a gift to be able to go through this personal crisis now. If it weren't for this pandemic, we would have had a we would have had a family wedding seven days after I told my ex-husband he had to leave the house. It would have been constant people asking where he is, what's going on. Instead, we had nothing. We had almost six whole months before we even had to say anything to anybody who wasn't on the inside. That's such a gift from where I'm standing now to have had that had the space to do this crazy world-flipping upside-down thing. And on that more positive note, we're going to have... Uh, I'm going to, I had a chat with Henry. He couldn't... Unfortunately, can't make it live. But I spoke to him the other day, and um, we're talking about something that if you have a business of any kind, will be re- very relevant to you. So Henry is going to be talking now about the business uh, you know when you've got uh, people get com- muddle up a bit and confused around what's the business worth um, the income for the business or your and your income so I just thought let's let's get this clear uh, in fact there was so much to say on it it's a two-part interview but this is the first part welcome Henry thank you so much for joining us on the divorce TV show. And we're going to talk about people who are getting divorced but have a business and maybe they both have businesses. They might be sole traders, they might have a limited company and there can be a lot of confusion, can't there, about mm. when it comes to the assets of, of whether that money belongs to the couple or whether it belongs to the business or the individual. Can you can you uh, illuminate us on that one, please? Yeah, <laughs> of course. I'll try. I, th- I think you're right. I think business assets can be can be quite tricky both to understand and 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 there's two elements to it as i see there's there's the income that's created by the business as well as the the value that sits within a business and so from a 
from a sole trader's point of view, there's no limited company. You're simply you're, you're self-employed, and 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 the income comes to you. And actually, any assets that that business creates are immediately yours. It's quite easy then to show to demonstrate that you know Fred um, is a property developer and he owns two buildings in his name and they create him £20,000 of income a year. And if it's not being run through a company, it's easy. That's just his. When you get to the company, it just becomes that much more complicated because all of a sudden there's a wrapper that essentially is a wrapper that sits around those business assets. And the wrapper is there for very good reasons. It's there to protect, protect the individual in case something should go wrong with the business. So there's a limited liability to it. Um, but also for tax reasons as well. So your salary can get paid out um, and the tax gets paid by the company and so on and so forth. But the company itself may well then have its own bank account, which will build up worth over time. Hopefully if it's a well-run business, it might own other assets. It might, you know, if it's a sweet shop, it'll own perhaps the, the building the sweet shop's in. It will own the sweets, it'll own, you know, the stock and everything like that. And so there's all those assets that sit within the company, but the company might also have debt. So using that sweet shop analogy, the, there might be a mortgage on the property. So it's not wholly owned by the business, but there's a big debt to the bank. You might buy the sweets on credit. So you end up paying for the sweets three months after you bought them. So there's a trade debt that sits within those companies. So although you, you, know, you see your sweet shop and it's worth a hundred thousand pounds, actually the value of that business might be worth anywhere close to a hundred thousand pounds. It might be worth ten thousand pounds, perhaps, by the time all those liabilities have been taken away from it. So you've got the that that's a good explanation of how to not. It's important to understand what the value of the business itself is as an asset. But what be um, what I've come across sometimes of is the well he's he's got this much money and she's got that much money and not understanding that actually that some of that money is belongs to the business not the individual and does that make any sense yeah well i think that's right because so the so the money does belong to the to the business so you know the sweet shop analogy we'll stick with sweet shops i don't know why i picked that one but anyway the sweet shop analogy has got a bank account within that bank account they've got fifty thousand pounds that money there is being used by the business for all sorts of purposes. It might be used as, you know, as cash flow so that they can go and buy more sweets. It might be being used because um, the owner of that business wants to go away and buy another sweet shop, you know, so they're saving some money up there. It might just be retained income. And so it becomes quite, so there are, there are whole heaps of different reasons to why there might be cash in that business. Important to say that the, the cash is the businesses. It's not the, it's not necessarily the directors, albeit, I mean, if there's only one director, then then there's an argument to state that, 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 that it is theirs, albeit there may well be reasons, especially within a divorce, why you wouldn't want to extract all that money, because in extracting all that money, you'll kill the, you know, you'll kill the goose that lays a golden egg. And so that cash flow needs to remain in the company for the company to remain viable. I th- it, most people will tend to draw what they can from the company. I mean, most because they want the income, you know, why, if your company is making £50,000 uh, and you can draw out of it £50,000, most people are going to do that with some exceptions as to, you know, tax rules and stuff like that. But on the whole, that's what will happen. 
So you tend to find quite a lot of the cash that sits within smaller businesses is there for a purpose, be it buy stock, you know, growth and what have you. I think it changes slightly when you see larger companies. And I certainly, you know, I've looked into cases in the past that have got three million pound property portfolios sitting behind them owned outright. And I think at that point, when you're coming to a when you're coming to the separation of assets, then then really that three million pound asset needs to be taken into account. It is held within a business. That business has definitely got value and worth, and that should be accounted for. Um, but not necessarily the the the, the ten or twenty or thirty thousand pounds that's sitting there just to to maintain cash flow within a business. That's a good description. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what if um, what about when the business is paying someone ten thousand, no, fifty thousand pounds a year, and all of a sudden a divorce petition comes in, and then suddenly the business is only paying them ten thousand pounds a year? How how do you find? I know you're not speaking as a lawyer, but in your experience, how do you advise clients where that that seems to have happened, or how how they can justify that? Yeah, it's tricky. And having just gone through COVID, it's amazing now how often it happens. Yeah, business collapsed because of COVID. So I don't understand why, because you just sell IT solutions. Surely you were sat at home selling IT solutions all day. I think, first and foremost, certainly with a limited company, you will have, you'll have accounts. And so provided it's not a brand new company, we can go and have a look at those accounts. For the since since the company was set up, but I mean, typically you'd look at the last two, three, four years worth of accounts, and you'd have a look at generally what the earnings had had been through the company. What's the turnover? What's the profit that the company's making? Similarly, for, for well, allied to that, an individual might not be drawing out a load of income, or they might say you've started off from fifty thousand pounds, which they were drawing, and then all of a sudden they change their mind just because they got divorced, and now they're only going to take ten thousand you should be able to see that within the accounts you should all of a sudden see well actually now this company that was ticking along uh, not in its its current account within the company not really growing has all of a sudden grown by forty thousand pounds this year which rather suggests that the company could still deliver that fifty thousand pounds of income but the directors of the company have just chosen not to pay it and that is one of the things that you know the directors of the company have full discretion over what they pay and to who so if, you, if you're the sole owner of a company and you decide not to pay yourself, well, your personal tax return will look like you've just earned £10,000 this year. So you'd need to do a little bit more digging through the accounts to find out whether or not this was a blip, whether or not the business suddenly has just been decimated, um, or whether or not this is just a little bit of sharp practice by the, by the director to make it look like their income is, is massively reduced, when in actual fact it hasn't been. So they should be able um, to fairly sort of with perhaps with the help of, um, I mean, you might be able to see it for them or if they need help from an accountant, you can let them know. But to be able to see what, what justifies that massive reduction in income should be fairly easy to see. You don't need a forensic accountant and to spend lots of money to find that out, do you? It's just a case of getting them to, to justify why they're suddenly earning so much less uh, at this particular point in, in the marriage cycle going into divorce. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right, and and, and I think it's uh, it, it happens all the time. And I don't, uh, there's there should be no way. The only, I mean, you do find that all of a sudden business expenses suddenly start to ramp up um, uh, magically in the year before divorce. Whether or not that's because 
you know, the fellas off having an affair and using the company funds to pay for all the hotels or whether or not it's, whether or not actually genuinely they are business expensive. But you would expect for huge disparities of income that, that come about for there to be a really decent explanation as to why they've come about. Um, because it's rare that your income, you know, companies tend to, if they're successful companies, their income and their turnover will tend to either stay level or, or better still will tick up over, over, over time. And so it'd be very weird to suddenly see it, you know, falling off a cliff in some 50 to, to 10,000, especially if the underlying accounts demonstrated that the turnover of the company had remained, had remained the same. You know, if the turnover of the companies are only the same, the general level of net profit is remaining the same, you would expect directors' remuneration to remain the same. And if it hasn't at that point, it'll it'll ring alarm bells. Obviously, there will always be times when, when things happen, you know, and COVID affected huge numbers of businesses um, this time last year. And that will have a huge, huge negative effect. You know, if you owned a restaurant or a cafe, then of course, you'd have seen huge numbers falling off that. But that's not to say necessarily that you would expect that to be an ongoing um, problem and that actually, you know, with the restaurant side of things, that things open up again. And now your business hopefully is, is it won't be booming quite yet, but, but hopefully it will start to boom in the not too distant future. And I think when it comes to, when it comes to negotiating around the income requirements that, that people have, that it's important to, it's important to be fairly realistic and understand that, you know, the business did take, it did suffer this year because of COVID. The reality is the business is likely to make more money in the future. And therefore, when we're looking at the needs of both parties within the divorce, actually, is it more, more sensible to use the income that was generated in 2020, 2021, or is it more sensible to look at the income that's being generated in, you know, 21 22 that we that we can sensibly project and i think and that takes a little bit of care and of course it's going to take negotiation and there's no definite you know solution we don't know what we're going to earn in the future um but we can have a reasonable stab at it when we have a look at past earnings and we know what the general outlook for that business might be thank you henry good stuff and there's uh, more on that next week because there was more to say for uh, we're going to have a quick QR masterclass. We're talking still about the Children's Bill of Rights. So I wanted to say, and, and the Q, there's a different QR code here. It's for our family wizard, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So we're on to number three, and the Children's Bill of Rights, Children's Bill of Rights of in divorce by Dr. Robert Emery, PhD. He wrote this as professor of psychology at the University of Virginia. And I think it's something that every parent, co-parent should take a look at, especially early stages of divorce. So number three, he says, the right to be kept out of the middle of your parents' conflict, including the right not to pick sides, carry messages or hear complaints about the other parent. If only more parents would honour that right. Because children should never be used as messengers. It's incredibly, incredibly harmful, whatever age they are. Uh, you've got plenty of options. You've got the handover book for smaller children. Uh, that bridges that gap when you're moving the children between co-parents. There's a physical book that they can write in, put photos in, and the parents can write in. 
It's a really, really clever invention. Uh, if you don't have happy communication with your co-parent, then you can use Our Family Wizard. There's a QR code for it just here. Make use of it. It's also in the co-parenting section of the Best Way to Divorce app. And this is good enough for Brad and Angelina, and they're having a very difficult co-parenting relationship. So it's a brilliant, brilliant tool. So use these things and don't stick the kids in the middle. So number three again, the right to be kept out of the middle of your parents' conflict, including the right not to pick sides, carry messages or hear complaints about the other parent, put it on the fridge. Now we've got a shared story coming up from Karen Sutton. I'm going to welcome Karen any minute now. And welcome Karen to the Divorce TV show. And you've got a lovely story for us, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yes, I just wanted to come on and talk about um, a lady I had recently worked with through a, a very emotional divorce, um, as most divorces are, to be fair. Because um, divorce is hard and it's a, a form of, of grief and loss. And it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult time. And I helped her sort of navigate her way through it by offering a, a safe neutral non-judgmental space to, to talk in which i think is often quite a hard thing to to, to find um because people are so emotive aren't they and, and and so invested in in what's going on but also to work through her her thoughts her feelings her behaviors to understand the outcome she wanted from this and to then behave in a congruent way towards that but also to, to provide a way of looking at what was happening and the meaning that she was placing on the actions her, her, her husband was, was taking, um, allowing her to just take a breath sometimes and, and sort of step back from the situation a little bit, allowing her to respond to a situation rather than react. And when you do this, it helps you feel like you're more in control because being calm in a situation is one of the, the biggest superpowers I think you can have. And once you've lost that, you you lose the ability to, I guess, remain in control for, your, for yourself because you're reacting and it's understandable. Um, but if you can remain calm and respond in a way that is congruent with who you are, you know, the values that you hold and the person you want to be moving forward, it does give you a better outcome and it allows you to be a better parent. It allows you to, to just, you know, be better at work, like you were saying, and all the effects that it can have there and, and on your life in, in general and focus on the things that are important to you and, and not get caught up, I suppose. And, you know, in the end, this this lady, you know, they were able to actually go through and, and find a resolution um, through, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mediation. mediation. <laughs> Good old mediation. Yes. Not meditation, mediation. <laughs> Not meditation, mediation, <laughs> which was lovely, you know, because that just it was it was starting to go down the route where you know they were going to end up in, in court and it was all getting a, a bit messy um and and it, it takes two sides in fairness to, to allow that to happen but i definitely you know she recognizes how much the coaching helped her you, you know 
gain some clarity in, in a lot of very difficult situations and, and come out of it feeling better about herself because ultimately you don't want to be behaving in such a way that creates guilt and, and shame moving forwards. So it then turns into bitterness and then it affects exactly this yeah. horrible thing to have for children to have parents that are bitter and, and yeah. who wants to carry that weight. So are you able to give um, a a, a an example of of one of the ways that you're able to help her to not be triggered to to hold that space yeah definitely i think i think the most important thing is to is to, to stay present in 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 the now and i think sometimes we get so caught up in what was and what you think should have been it's, it's sometimes just bringing yourself back to now accepting that your reality as, as what it is and thinking about how you can best you know get the best outcome with with where you're at and not comparing it to where you were or where you think you should be because that that's not real and and that's you're never going to win that um so you know one way is is definitely helpful is by just bringing yourself back to, to now the reality of the situation that you find yourself in and and what you can do in that moment to help you get a, a better outcome from from the situation that's great. And have you had um, um, any, what led you to be doing what this work that you're doing? So what led me to be doing this is that is um, my husband actually died um, nearly five years ago. So I was widowed. Um, but through my experience of becoming widowed and and meeting a lot of people my age as well that were going through divorces, they're very different situations, but actually a lot of the emotions that you're left with afterwards are very similar. And I wanted to help people find a better way, a more positive way, and, and understand that actually you can live a good life after you've lost something that you once had that you no longer do. And it's all in, you know, how we behave in, in that and the choices that we make. Um, and, and, and that's what, you know, I'm just so passionate now about helping people do that and, you know, create a meaningful life after, you know, something tragic or, you know, unwanted has happened in their lives. That's lovely. Thank you. And carry on the good work. Lovely, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you, Susie. Bye-bye, Karen. Great, positive, valiant people. There's so many great... And as you all know, I'm a big fan of coaching. How do we know how to do these things? How do we know to stay in the present and to not be triggered if we don't get someone to teach us how? Because I certainly didn't learn that from my parents. Uh, quick tile roulette i just wanted to focus today on the um actually the workshop because i'm looking at that thinking i need to arrange another one for the autumn so i'm hoping to get more sponsorship uh god willing uh which will allow me to do more because those workshops are fabulous and then the uh the other one is the yes yeah, secret divorce group we had a fantastic meet up uh yesterday we're supposed to be 30 minutes i once a month i just sit on zoom and i'm there for everybody but we had such an amazing conversation with the with the group who was so supportive of each other it was just beautiful and um and we were there an hour and a half but we do try to keep it to 30 minutes moving on now for our healing you got ready Welcome, Sharon. 
Good to Hello. have you back. And I know we've got a little little bit of a of a of a not quite as sharp as we normally have you, but your voice is clear, so we will be able to. But I do like your background. I think it's lovely, very green and, and verdant. So, are you going to be med- doing a meditation with us today? I am, yes, and I'm going to be taking you uh, to a little stream in a river, which is why I chose the background as well. Perfect. I can't wait. I love this part of the show. <laughs> right, so I shall leave you to it and just make it make it clear when it's finished and, and uh, hopefully I won't have drifted off too far. I'll, I'll be waking you all up at the end, so uh, you don't need to worry about falling asleep. So make yourself comfortable now as you prepare to go into a lovely state of calmness and relaxation and take a few comfortable breaths and on each breath in open your eyes and on each breath out let your eyes close so as you breathe in keep your eyes open and as you breathe out let your eyes close so continue to do that for a while being aware of the movement of your eyelids. And then you can let your eyes stay closed, focusing on my voice, nothing else matters. Because the sound of my voice takes you into a calmer and more relaxed state. And every breath takes you into a calmer and more relaxed state. And as you allow your body to relax, you can also allow your mind to relax. You don't have to make yourself relax. You just allow your body to do what it wants to do. As I take you to a peaceful and relaxing place. And you're standing at the side of a small stream watching the water gently trickle past you. Noticing the movement, little ripples in the water as it moves over rocks. The movement as it swirls past blades of green lush grass that hang over the riverbank into the water. Notice the change in colour beneath the clear water. You see the colour of the mud. You see the rocks, moss and weed that the water's flowing over. And you see the whiteness where the water's flow is disturbed. You hear the sound of the water trickling over and around the rocks. It's relaxing and soothing. You kneel down and you dip your fingers into the water and it's cold as it runs between your fingers. And as you lift your hand back up, you watch the droplets falling back into the stream. And you continue to watch as the water flows past. Thinking your mind is like this stream, continually flowing 
sometimes easily. Other times when it finds an obstruction, it slows down and has to move around the rock or twig or leaf before it continues on its way. You stand up and follow the stream as it winds its way downstream, feeling the grass and stones underneath your feet, feeling bracken brushing against your legs. And as you walk, the stream becomes wider and deeper until eventually it's a river. And now the rocks and pebbles don't stop the water. They're no longer visible. The twigs and branches and leaves don't slow it down. They float on the surface, carried along by the river. You see the reflection of the sky and the landscape around you and the sun glinting on the water. And you walk up to a small grove of trees and you sit down for a rest. There are twigs and leaves on the ground next to you and you pick up some twigs and you start to make a small raft, looping some long grass around the twigs to hold them together. And then you make a knot, gently pulling so that you don't break the stem, but you hold all of the twigs tight together. And then you find a leaf and you slot it into the twigs so it stands upright like a sail. And now, if there's something you'd like to get rid of, if there's a problem or a thought, you can place that on the raft. And now you can lean over the water and put the raft gently onto it. And you watch as it sits there, bobbing on top of the water. And then the current catches it and slowly it starts to move downstream, away from the bank. Just gliding through the water, taking the unwanted problem or thought with it, taking the unwanted emotions away. 
just feel them drifting away as the raft sails downstream further and further until you can't see it anymore. The raft disappears and the emotions disappear. And you relax back against the tree and enjoy this moment. Comfortable and relaxed. Peaceful and calm. The endless flow of the river cleansing and soothing. And you drift and enjoy this moment. going to count now from five to one. On the count of one, you will be fully alert, refreshed and relaxed, bringing back with you that peacefulness and calm. So five, every muscle, every nerve and fiber of your body, just starting to feel full of energy. Just feeling that energy flowing through your body. Four, your mind reconnecting with your body. So your body moves easily, your mind thinks clearly. Three, taking a deep, deep breath of clear, cool, fresh air. Just feeling the air refreshing your lungs. You feel good. You do feel good. You feel good about yourself and you feel good about other people. You have a big smile on your face because you do feel good. Two, again, feeling refreshed, everything vibrant and alive. And one, fully alert, fully awake, fully refreshed. And welcome back. And stretch. Oh, lovely. So, nothing more to say except I'm Susie Miller. I've done speaking, except to say that in the war of divorce, on the battlefield of family separation, make peace your weapon of choice. <laughs>